0: So tell me about your journey to medicine.
1: Oof, that's, uh, that's an interesting one. Um, I think uh, quite naturally, uh, I got to see a bit of it when I was uh, quite young because my father's a doctor and uh, he was a doctor in Pakistan when uh, we were quite young. So, you know, there's hints of uh, uh, this is a profession that maybe, uh, you know, I could potentially do in the future, but I, I had a lot of interests. Um, I think it was about when I was about six, seven years old, when my grandfather passed away. Um, And the sort of shock of my life was that it all happened in front of me. So in front of my eyes, uh, we were going out to get something. We came back. He has a heart attack, which I wasn't really sure what it was at the time. And I realized that uh, how fragile life is and being in a profession where um, you can have some kind of an impact. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as saying life-saving but it made me realise that you know if you could do something to help someone in a situation like that I probably I probably want to do that in my life uh, and that was sort of the idealistic young seven-year-old me and that's where it started and then it just built further from there.
0: So it, it kind of expand more on where you studied and why you chose those areas of study.
1: Yeah so um we moved from Pakistan to Ireland uh, when I was quite young, so about seven years of age. Um, it was close around to when 9-11 had happened and uh, things were still quite fresh, but relatively Ireland was still a country that was uh, um, very friendly. It was a nice place to grow up. Uh, I think it's probably one of the places I identify with the most. Um, and coming to about uh, what would be the equivalent of A-levels here or at um, the end of secondary school in Ireland, we had uh, the leaving cert. There was a there was an exam that I had difficulty with. It was the uh, HPAT exam. And um, I looked at maybe other options of applying for medicine outside of Ireland. And I looked at Europe. And I really wanted to go for a place where it would be sort of affordable, uh, but it's within the European Union. And I knew someone that was in Romania. So they told me about Romania. And I didn't know very much about Romania, but uh, he told me how the system is there and then you can practice medicine, it's a six year degree. And I sort of just went with that. And I was like, okay, I'll, uh, I'll go visit, check it out. And uh, I think a week, uh, a week after I'd uh, visited, I decided that, you know, I'm gonna apply. Uh, and uh, it was all from there. The, the idea initially was that I'll do like a year or something there and then reapply in Ireland but uh, that sort of uh, changed into me staying there six years and uh, uh, completing my degree and then coming back to the UK.
0: Amazing. And tell me a bit more about, was it not a culture shock? How did you find moving abroad and the whole experience of actually moving away from Ireland to Romania? The language, It's quite a yeah. few things to think about.
1: I think there's many things to unpack there, but I think when you're... Um, sort of your late teens and early 20s, um, you're sort of naive to a lot of things and uh, going with the flow uh, might be a bit more natural. But I I think that the reality that hit me at that stage was that I am going to uproot my life. Um, Now, a degree of that I was familiar with when my family moved uh, from Pakistan to Ireland. I was quite young, so it didn't affect me as much. But uh, sort of little shockwaves of that remained, uh, you know, over time. And I think uh, the interesting thing is that I've kind of became a a lifelong immigrant. (laughs) I I, I went from one country to another country to another country and uh, went to England and then Scotland. Uh, So this idea of culture shock became nothing really abnormal to me. So I tried to assimilate, I would say, as best as I could. But it was a very European country. And I think a lot of the prejudices that people had against it, uh, they sort of Withered away because uh, it was a very fast and very quickly developing country. And uh, if I compare it to when I went there and how it is now, it is completely different night and day. Uh, and it has so much potential. So
0: tell me how you've managed to get onto trauma and orthopedics and why you chose that.
1: So I, at the moment, I'm doing a trauma and orthopedic themed uh, core surgical training program, and I pretty much like trauma and orthopedics since uh, i guess the late years of my so probably about fifth or sixth year around that time um and i think the interesting thing is that uh i wasn't quite sure about it as a speciality and then i did an elective in writington wigan and the trust and so, so it was my, mainly in writington um and it kind of uh you know, really made me feel like that this is a pretty cool speciality. It's very broad and encompassing. Um, but the realities of getting into training as an international graduate at that time, even even with sort of the natural advantages that I had, which may have been, you know, uh, cultural understanding, having a better grasp of English, all of these things, I still realize that, you know, it's a very competitive uh, pathway for even people that graduate in, in in the UK to get onto a surgical pathway. So, you know, those realities did come on to me quite early but I, I kind of realized that you know this is what I like this is what I want to do so I just tried to focus on that and uh, uh, work towards that.
0: Is there any particular reason that people are attracted to trauma and orthopedics? Are there any particular stigmas attached to the specialty?
1: Oof, ah, uh, <laughs> uh, so, so there were some stereotypes uh, attached to it but um, I think generally people are interested in the specialities, and it's quite all encompassing. It really does cover the entire body um, pretty much anywhere where there's a bone <laughs> uh, below it's... the neck. Um, so it's, uh, it's very broad uh, and, you know, it's got a good mix of trauma and elective work. Um, there, there is a feeling that lifestyle wise, it would be quite good, but um, I think um like all surgical specialities, it's it's long, it's difficult, it uh, requires a lot of uh, sort of endurance, perseverance, and effort on your part. Um, so it's very dependent on whoever applies for it. But I'll, I'll go back to the point that you raised about it not being as uh, or not being people not being as well exposed to it in medical school. We actually polled that, and I think I used my own personal Instagram account to just kind of get an understanding of. Uh, how well it's taught as well and I think what most people showed is that it it was four to six weeks in the best case scenario and for some people not at all which I found a bit interesting I think might be worth looking at a little bit more again.
0: Absolutely and that leads me on to my next question on Mm -hmm. the fact that you began the 6pm series so what, Uh, what made you develop that idea?
1: Yeah, so um, it's uh, it's it's quite interesting. So I was doing a sort of a clinical fellow year before I was applying for core surgical training. Um, and I remember one day going into the mess that we had there. It was a very small uh, district general hospital, but um, we had a nice mess. And it was quite a tight-knit uh, community. It was actually really, really nice. So there was another doctor there that I had uh, known. I met him before. His name was James. And uh, we were both talking about this. And even before that day and a couple of days ago, a couple of medical students from Bristol University told me that, you know, their clinical teaching has really been hit hard with the pandemic and they're not getting much bedside teaching. So we decided that, you know, this is probably not right. Maybe we can do something to help them. And it it really just started from there. It was really designed for the medical students in Bristol and Exeter. And I think that was it initially. And then we got such good feedback based on the format that we were teaching that, you know, people were like, "You just spread it for more people. And that's precisely what we did. And uh, uh, pretty much a year after we'd started, we taught about 22,000 applicants, uh, done about over 120 lectures um, on varying different uh, subjects and specialities and it's still going strong.
0: So tell me a bit more about what exactly you felt was lacking which led to the 6pm 6, 6 series. Yeah
1: so I think primarily at that time the um, the difficulty that many people pointed out to was that a lot of their exams were um, sort of SBA based uh, so their MCQs and SBAs and Uh, Their bedside teaching was very variable. Sometimes it didn't translate into exactly what uh, they would be presented with. So all of our lectures, certainly for the uh, beginning and going a bit beyond, were um, basically SBA style. So we would touch on a subject and that would be the subject of the talk. And we would go through each of the concepts that we're covering in an SBA style. So you're presented with a case, you're presented with a scenario, And you have the timed situation. So it was a sort of a simulation of a high stakes event, but at the same time providing a lecture as well. We realized that a very didactical talk or a complete lecture format uh, teaching session might bore people a little bit virtually. And then the other thing that we did that was quite unique to us is that we tried to make it seem a bit like a talk show. So we kept a back and forth between the presenter and the co-host. And we didn't, we, we realized that this online teaching format is new to most people and we did pretty much what we could to make it seem as natural as possible and uh yeah that that was that was kind of it
0: with more of a focus on your training pathways can you explain what it entails and secondly can you explain what the challenges and what the benefits have been whilst you've been on that
1: um so i made a very active decision to come to scotland to do my core surgical training because i looked at um feedback and uh previous sort of uh reviews if you want to call it that and word of mouth about training in scotland and you know i was told for core surgical training uh uh the ist program in scotland is really quite good and on paper it really is and certainly the um the national strategy and the simulation strategy for this is really, really um, a lot of effort has gone into and I really appreciate that The problem is that 80% of our time is spent in the hospitals that we're rotating in or attached with. And therefore our direct training is controlled by that. And those hospitals are very dependent on what their um, rotor patterns are and um, what elective procedures uh, are you able to get exposure to or, you know, how much theater time you get and how much active training are you getting? And I think COVID has affected this, but a lot of this has just been battered over the last uh, two years, whether it's been affected by COVID or attrition, or, you know, um, rotas not being compliant or um, not having enough people on your uh, in your department uh, to be able to cover some of the service roles so you can get whatever your minimum training requirements are. Um, it's very difficult to, you know, comment on what other people have experienced, but my experience has been similar to this. And whenever I do actually ask other people, they've mentioned the same thing. I try my best to make the best of it, but it's um, it's really, really quite uh, difficult where I feel that at this stage I would have progressed to it. Um, much better uh, position in my training but uh it's uh, it's hard it's it's, uh, it's challenging and even meeting your minimal numbers um so we have indicative numbers that we need to meet uh even meeting those is, is challenging
0: and what have you what did you do in terms of your portfolio to get onto the training program and do you feel it's met your expectations
1: Uh, so I'll answer the second one and I would probably unfortunately have to say no Uh, uh, I think um, a lot of the national initiatives uh, yes are very good Um, and they really do make an effort to make that good but overall probably not Um, I I don't think it's met my expectations Uh, I think it's certainly been reflected by other colleagues in a similar position Uh, in fact we had a conversation about this after a teaching day on Friday and a couple of us uh, went out and uh, sort of reflected on what's been going on and uh, I think the mood was very similar. Now what I personally did to get onto training was a combination of um, uh, teaching obviously through the 6pm series but we went way beyond that in the 6pm series, uh, audits, um, uh, participation in procedures, uh, pretty active participation actually, um, and, uh, it, it, was just a lot of hard work. Like I could probably do an entire podcast on my, on my sort of journey, um, which was a bit, um, uh, which was a bit different than most people. I didn't do your traditional foundation programs. I did an FY2 equivalent. I got my competency signed off, uh, and then I sort of just applied myself for a, uh, surgical fellow post. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really worked hard, uh to get to the position that I'm in. But in the last few months, I've kind of um, gone a bit uh, uh, sort of frustrated with some things, but I I think the degree of that might be a bit of burnout. Uh, We all probably get burnout without realizing.
0: My final question is, so you've mentioned burnout. So Mm -hmm. firstly, I would like you to expand a little bit more on what you meant by burnout. And secondly, I want to know a little bit more about where you see yourself moving in the future.
1: Yeah, so I think this is actually a question I'm trying to answer myself at the moment. (laughs) Um, (laughs) In terms of uh, where I'm going to move next, I'm having to think about a couple of uh, options. Um, I think think some days I'm really just focusing on what is the uh, very basic stuff that I need to do. And at this point in your career or anyone's career, it's, uh, you know, you just want to be a good surgeon uh, or you want to be a good doctor or you want to be a good clinician. You know, whatever that title, whatever that thing you have in your head, that's really just what you're trying to focus on. Um, we all have long term, large aspirational goals, um, but, the, you know, um, they're, they're difficult. They're difficult to achieve unless you're hitting your sort uh, of short term goals. Um, in terms of burnout, you know, burnout, I think the best way I can describe burnout for many people that may not realize that they're having it themselves and is is just constant stress and complete or probably a great lack of motivation. <laughs> um, and uh, y- you mentioned that, you know, how did you have time to do all the 6 p.m. stuff and all these things? I think there was a great deal of motivation. And, you know, that was on the back of, you know, I will start training, I'll do this and Things will be on the up and up, and and you know when these things don't happen, and people have worked very hard to get there, you do you get stressed, and you you completely start lacking motivation, um, and you start asking yourself, you know, what is going on? Six months ago, I wasn't in this situation, but now I'm not motivated. What's the what's the problem here? Um, and you know we need to combat that. Um, You need to combat that on a personal level, but uh, on a greater institutional or um, uh, sort of uh, system level, we need to combat that too. And the best way to do it is to, you know, provide these opportunities for people to have those doses of motivation. Uh, In terms of workplace stress, you know, workplace stress is pretty much in a lot of professions. Uh, It's just a little bit more in healthcare. Um, and in a little bit more in certain other specialities. Um, so, you know, you, you just need to find coping mechanisms for that.
0: Thank you so much for your time, Shahid. That was really, isn't. really important. Appreciate it.
1: Thank I hope you. I wasn't a bit too blunt and too honest. <laughs> yeah, just a disclaimer for anyone listening. None of this uh, I rehearsed or pre-planned. I sort of uh, asked and uh, saw what broad questions we were getting and that was really it and actually most of what we talked about wasn't even that um so i think i hope uh i hope uh some of it at least resonates with uh people that are listening and uh there's some kind of common ground
0: absolutely well thank you very much again
1: no worries thank you thank you have a lovely day